Right, so I've got two parables to read. The first one's a parable of the growing seed. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, and then the full kernel on the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. And the second parable is of the mustard seed. Again he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples... He explained everything. Thank you, Bob. Last week, uh, Michael took us through the parable of the sower and uh, showed us that the parable uh, could be interpreted uh, about four different types of soil within us. And it was a, a great challenge for me to realise that, yes, I've got areas of hardness in my heart. Yes, I've got rocks um, that seem to continually come up that need to be dug up and pulled out. And yes, I have weeds, a propensity to, to be affected by some of the things of the world that, um, that seek to crowd out what God is doing in my life. Um, so, yeah, thank you for that, Michael. It's... Um, yeah, it's, it's sobering to, to kind of see each of those things uh, possibly in our, in our own hearts. It's easy to think of ourselves as good soil, and yes, um, everything's great and fine, thank you very much, but we know that's not actually the case most of the time, is it? Um, in our scripture passage today, we're covering two more parables, the parable of the growing seed and the parable of the mustard seed. And to be honest, I, I read these parables through a number of times, and I was like, man, this is... I don't really get this. I've, I've, I thought, man, I'm going to struggle to preach a sermon on this. Uh, but then the Lord showed me that passages like this are actually an invitation. And it's an invitation to sit with him and seek revelation from him. And this is actually it's my pre-point, if you like. It's, it's a pre-point of the sermon. Uh, when you come across hard-to-understand passages, don't think, oh, gee, that's strange, and then forget about it. It's an invitation uh, for you to sit with the Lord in that passage um, and, and, to, and to seek uh, revelation from him. So engage with the passage. Um, listen to podcasts on it. Maybe do some web searching and things like that. Look, if you're, if you're brave enough, go and look at the Greek and, and see what some of the Greek words mean. So don't push your head into the sand and, and just ignore it because there's no growth there, right? You're not going to grow in your faith if you do that. Um, these are actually opportunities to, to learn and grow closer to Jesus. And so if you're grappling with a passage or an ideal, anything at the moment, um, I've got some suggestions. 
Um, first of all, humility is necessary. We need to acknowledge that we don't actually know what's going on. We have no idea really what the, what the passage is or what the, what the issue is about or how to explain it. And, and, so, and that means that we're not relying on our own ability. We're not relying on our own um, intelligence or understanding to figure it out. And, and remember Ecclesiastes, you know, when the, when the philosopher said, I will uh, find out everything about life and be able to explain it, he ended up saying, oh, everything is meaningless. So when we rely on our own um, understanding, then, um, yeah, it doesn't turn out well. And then the, the second step is to turn to God, not away from Him. And, and I found, I don't know about you, but I found it when, when we're trying to grapple with something, it's easy to grapple it uh, and not be consciously in the presence of God. It's easy to kind of shut God out and, and kind of mm, and try and nut it out by ourselves. So, so turn to God, allow Him into your thought processes, ask Him for revelation and understanding. And the third step is sit with the passage in the presence of the Lord. And when I mean by sit with the passage, I don't mean sit for five hours on, continuously on one particular day. That, that's not going to... Well, I can't actually do that. So, so I wouldn't encourage you to do it either. What I mean is commit it to invite the Lord into your thinking. Go about your life. And we, whenever the issue comes into your mind, share it with the Lord. Lift it to the Lord while you're doing what you're doing. And in my experience, revelation will come. The Lord will lead us to, ah, that's what's going on. That's, that's what this is about. Whether it's through an idea popping into your mind or through another scripture or a conversation that you have with someone or a podcast or whatever. And you will grow in confidence. You will grow. It's, it's so awesome getting revelation from God. It's such an awesome gift. So that's what I found works for me and I hope that helps you um, actually before we get into our, our passage today um, with whatever you're dealing with at the moment, whatever's puzzling you or, or kind of weighing you down. And so when I use that process with today's passage, the Lord gave me so many thoughts and ideas that I could, I'm only going to talk on the parable of the growing seed today because um, otherwise the sermon would be about 50 minutes long. Um, but fortunately, Tim Keller um, the wonderful American theologian has a great sermon on the parable of the mustard seed. So that's the second part of the, the second parable today. So feel free to check that out. Yes, it takes time and effort. Yes, it's, um, it takes engagement. Uh, but it's so worth it. And you end up receiving so much more than, than you give. And speaking of that, um, uh, Tim Keller had a, a really interesting point uh, about Mark 4.24, which... Um, I'd like to share. In Mark 4.24, the, the literal translation uh, is, what measure you measure, it shall be measured to you. What measure you measure, it shall be measured to you. What does that mean? And Tim Keller says there's a dirty little secret about those who teach the Bible. He says that when you take a passage of scripture and you preach on it or prepare a, a Bible study on it, you really want to bring uh, a feast of, of spiritual food for those uh, you preach it to or deliver it to. And you want them to be fed to the brim with the food of God's word. But the dirty little secret is that after you have taught on the passage, you realise the one that ate the most was you. You were the one who gorged yourself and ended up feeling massively full. You were the one that were blessed. So this is what Mark 4.24 means. 
what measure you measure, it shall be measured to you. When you give, truly give, the more you get. And this is the upside down nature of the kingdom. Givers get more and graspers lose what little they hoard. But it's easy to think, I, okay, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do something and then I'll, so that I can get. And it doesn't work like that. You can't cheat God like that. That's going to backfire. The idea is that your prime motivation is to serve, is to bless, to give. And when you give with that thought to your own desires, you suddenly realise, when it's all done and dusted, that you were the one that received the most. And an example is, is worship. Um, so often, I don't know about you, but you might be feeling a bit blah and down and discouraged. And you think, I'll go to worship and, and maybe the Lord will cheer me up. And so you, you put on some worship music and, and yeah, so, sometimes you feel a bit better. But, but sometimes you go, oh, well, that didn't really work. But the secret is you don't go to worship to receive. You go to worship to worship. So take something that you, you love about God, that you feel like I was, I was listening to a song on the way in from uh, to church this morning. I am chosen, not forsaken. That's something that we can thank, honestly thank God for. And when we just honestly go to God and worship Him and say, thank you that I'm chosen. Thank you, Lord, that you have chosen me. And you honestly worship God, not, not, not with a desire to receive anything, but to just simply worship and thank Him for what He's given Suddenly you find you have received. Suddenly you find you're feeling a whole lot better. Suddenly your tank is full. And uh, that's the wonderful thing about God's kingdom. So you can't cheat this point, right? It's a bit like the, the whole finance thing. If I give, then God will give a whole lot of money to me. No, it doesn't work like that. You give without any expectation of receiving. Just to bless God and honour God. And then God will supply all your needs as he's promised. So that's the preamble. So let's dig into the parable of the growing seeds today. So there's three main points to come out of this parable that we're going to cover. And the first point is that it is God who grows his kingdom, not us. It's God who grows his kingdom, not us. The second point is that the kingdom of God grows when Christ is formed in us. That's the second point. The kingdom of God grows when Christ is formed in us. And the third point is that while the growth of God's kingdom is not dependent on us, we have a role to play. So why the parables? And, and uh, the three points. The, three, the first point is that it is God who grows his kingdom, not us. The second point is that the kingdom of God grows when Christ is formed in us. And the third point is that while the growth of God's kingdom is not dependent upon us, we have a role to play. So, why the parables? And I, I don't know if you've, um, if this thought has come into your mind um, throughout our study of Mark. But our, our verse today, our passage today, uh, begins, this is what the kingdom of God is like. So why is Jesus using parables and stories and metaphors? Why doesn't he just tell us? Why doesn't he just give us a definition? Like we can look up in the Oxford Dictionary online and then, oh, that's what it means. The reason is you can't adequately describe the kingdom of God in one sentence. It can't be done. It's too big. 
And there's a lot of things like that. Take marriage. So I looked up the definition of marriage. And it says, the state of being united as spouses in a consensual and contractual relationship recognised by the law. Awesome. Is that, is that an adequate summation? Does that give us an adequate picture of what marriage is? No. And the, <laughs> the Merriam-Webster Dictionary actually has six things to say about these. There's three points, but the first point has um, three sub-points. So it's actually six things that the Merriam-Webster Dictionary has to say about marriage. And that still is not enough. So that's why Jesus is using parables. It's meant for us to sit with, to think about, to reflect. And we can see it's, it's like um, a prism or a diamond. And you look through a different aspect of it and go, oh, wow, yeah, that's true too. And, and marriage is like that too. There's, there's so many different aspects and um, ways that we can think about marriage. So this is why Jesus uses parables. So if you've ever wondered that, I hope that answers that uh, point. So now let's move on to the word kingdom. What is a kingdom? It's a territory or country that is subject to a king. And the inhabitants of that territory are also subject to that king. Now that's anathema to our modern world, isn't it? The idea that all of reality is governed by God and that we are under his power and dominion is ridiculed today. Humanity wants to be autonomous. We don't want there to be a God. And that's why we work so long with savages. What's anathema? Anathema. It's, it's disgust. It's like, blech. Hate it. It's un- yeah, sorry. It's a big word, isn't it? Um, but just because the majority of, of people today might not like that idea, it doesn't mean it's not true. And this is a very unusual kingdom, and God is a very unusual king. Because the fact that, despite the fact that everything belongs to God, Psalm 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything belongs to God. He doesn't force anyone to be under his power and dominion. That's a bit frustrating, really, sometimes. In fact, if anything, it's the opposite. It's hard to be a subject of God's kingdom. Because you have to voluntarily subject yourself. And that's a difficult process. And I don't think anyone has fully succeeded in that apart from Jesus. So with that in mind, let's turn to a parable. And it begins with a man scatters seed on the ground. And the first point that occurred to me was like, is the man important? Is the man signifying something? How am I supposed to interpret the significance of the man? And when I went to the, the Greek, the, the comment in the Greek was that the word appears without the definite article, which means it's not the man, it's just a man. And the, and the, the text said it, it means that who he is is either not known or not important. It's, it, I find it's easy to read, perhaps read into a parable more than what Jesus was intending. But in this case, I think that it's not, the man is not significant. And there's more reasons uh, that I say that. Um, some people have interpreted the man as a preacher of the word, scattering the seed, the, the word of God. But this doesn't fit with the end of the parable because it says the man harvests the grain. Verse 29, as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest of come, has come. 
Now the harvest, Jesus says the harvest usually refers to the end of the age. And in, in Matthew 13, 39, he says, the harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are the angels. So it doesn't fit with a man being a preacher. Because, because we're not involved in the harvest. We are the harvest. The farmer, you know, it's like the difference between the, the, the maize and the farmer. We're, not, we're the maize, we're not the farmer. Could the man represent Jesus? Well, I don't think so either because it's in verse 27. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. It doesn't sound like Jesus to me. Jesus knows what's happening and how it's happening. So the man can't be him, I don't think. Could the man represent angels? Perhaps. But we're usually the ones spreading the seed because the word has to be heard. So I think it's best to stick with the idea that the man in this particular parable is not important in terms of interpreting what the parable means. So what is the parable about then? Well, it's about the seed. Now, you think about seeds. They have incredible power, don't they? The seed contains the plant, but we just don't see it. It contains all the information necessary uh, for the, to, to grow. Like an acorn will eventually grow into a huge oak tree. It's incredible when you think about it. And all that information on the tree came from the acorn. The seed also reproduces after its own kind. You don't sow grain and get feijos. Feijos, that's a great season, isn't it? Man, I love feijos. Malcolm and Amanda, have you, do you know what feijos are? Yeah, great, awesome. We've got a lot if you want some. Anyway, that's enough about features. Once the seed is planted in the right conditions, it will sprout and grow independently of us. So verse 27 again, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up. We don't even understand how the seed grows, let alone control anything about how it does so. And the growth of the seed has stages too. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. The grain doesn't pop out of the ground fully formed. It takes time. Um, we've got some cucumber seeds that my dad has. He was given from his father's 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 father. That came from Lebanon. Um, so the, these are the seeds that, you know, it's pretty cool when you think about it. But anyway, Sarah planted some of these seeds in, in these punnets of soil and put them on the windowsill. And it was frustrating, waiting. Every morning I'd come out, and oh, nothing. Next morning, nothing. And then suddenly, boom, a little sprout comes out. And that's pretty exciting, isn't it? That's really cool watching it grow. And then, it's, and then all of a sudden it seems to take off. It's, uh, it's wonderful. So it's waiting, and it's frustrating, especially when you're hurry to get some cucumbers. And there's nothing you can do to hurry the process up. You just have to wait. So just as we have no control over the process of how a seed grows, we have no control over how God grows his kingdom. And maybe, like me, you get frustrated about that sometimes. You think, God, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? can't see you moving in our world today so much. But this is our first point today. It is God who grows his kingdom, not us. We have no control over it. So don't even try. It's a recipe for burnout. It is God who grows his kingdom, not us. Now what does the seed in the parable represent? And this, I think, is a really important part. In all the parables, the seed represents the word of God, doesn't it? 
But we also know that Jesus is the Word of God too. Remember John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we can think of the seed as Jesus. And in fact, in Galatians 3.16, Paul writes, The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. So Jesus is referred to the seed. So Jesus is the seed, and God's, God's kingdom grows when Jesus is reproduced. But how is Jesus reproduced? The seed also represents us. We are the harvest that God desires. But how can the seed be both him and us? Well, again in Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So what does this mean? The kingdom of God is the reign of God. And so the seed that is growing within each one of us is replicating Jesus. The seed will be fully formed when it is no longer we who live, but Jesus who lives in us. Then we will be part of the harvest that God desires. So this is the second point for us today. The kingdom of God grows when Christ is formed in us. He's replicating his seed in us. So what's our role in the process? Do we just... Like when you look at the parable of this parable... Um, the farmer doesn't seem to be doing anything. He just, he just scatters the seed and then it says, whatever he does, whether he gets up or whether he sleeps, the seed grows. And it's like it doesn't appear to be doing anything. But we know um, that there's a lot of work that goes into preparing soil and often um, there's uh, a lot of work, we, we've just talked about it, weeding, removing rocks, uh, making sure that the ground is fertilised and all that kind of stuff. So, sometimes perhaps we don't see anything happening in our lives. Perhaps, like that cucumber seed, we, we, we rush out and we can't see anything. We feel stuck in a rut. And perhaps we start to wonder if the seed is actually there at all. But it's there. And this should be a huge encouragement to us from this parable. God is at work whether we see anything or not. Sometimes we wait years hoping, looking and wondering. And then one day we see a little sprout. How did it happen? We don't know. Other times we wake up and something massive has happened. Or sometimes we go through something that, that really profoundly impacts me. And, and when I first met the Lord, the, the, I was at a, a Youth for Christ rally, and suddenly, boom, the Lord blitzed me. And I started crying. And I had no idea what was going on. But after that moment, Dad said, Boy, everything about me changed. My personality changed completely. As an example of a massive event in my life and I still look on that event as a highlight of my life I was just so incredibly happy after that, that event I didn't stay like that of course but that, I look back upon that amazing experience so what was that about? You know, I don't know that's, that's the work of God I have no control over it 
He is the one who has been growing the seed. (coughs) So while we're not in control, as I said before, we have a role to play. The weeding, the removing the stones and so on. What What do these things represent in our lives? I think they mean we implement spiritual disciplines like regular quiet times, actively seeking conscious contact with God throughout our day, Um, sharing our lives with God, going to church, fellowshipping with others in small groups, being real with one another. If if we're struggling with something, say so, tell someone. All these are ways in which we can till the soil of our hearts and remove hard-heartedness in the weeds and the rocks. So let's bring this home now. Allowing Jesus to reign in us, allowing Jesus to be formed, to to replicate himself in us. It's such a small verse. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Such a small verse, but man, that represents a lifetime, a lifetime of journeying with the Lord. It's not an easy journey. We saw previously in our first, um, one of our first few sermons, on Mark, that the first and most important role of a disciple of Jesus is to be with him. That's Mark 3.13. Jesus chose the disciples first and foremost to be with him. And that's what he wants. Sounds so easy, so simple, doesn't it? Three words, be with him. Yet if I ask you to think back on your week, what percentage of your time would be consciously spent with the Lord? If our first and highest calling as disciples of Jesus is to be with Jesus, think back upon your week. How much time did you consciously spend with God? You see, weeding and digging up rocks and tilling the soil of our hearts, that takes effort. That takes examination of our hearts in the presence of the Lord. That can only be done in dedicated prayer. So if we're not engaging in dedicated prayer, how is that going to happen? I can tell you, it's not. So secondly, I'd ask you to think differently about how you consciously interact with God during your day by way of the following scripture. This is from John 5, verse 19. And Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, so the Son also does. And I was puzzled by what this meant. And I sat with the Lord about it over a period of a few days, and I asked him for revelation. And the Lord gave me a picture of a son looking over the shoulder of his father as he was making something in the shed. And I've done that a lot with my own father. In fact, I've done it with my brother, actually. Well, he's a legend at making stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, is that what you're doing? And that's like, that's like what Jesus is talking about. He can only do what he sees his father doing. He's like looking to see what his father doing. Not, not what he wants to do, not what he wants to create. Looking to see what his father's doing. And so often in our lives, we get this around the wrong way, don't we? We feel we're the ones creating something. And maybe it's not going great. And we look around in frustration at God, and we say, what are you going to, come on, 
Here, I'm trying to do this thing. What are you doing? When are you going to help me? The parable of the seeds today says that it's not, not us making something or growing something. It's God. And this happens in his time, not ours. It's his kingdom, not ours. So the call for us today is when we're getting frustrated with any, it can be anything. Not, maybe not even necessarily, you might not even think that it's connected to God's kingdom, but it will be somehow. Stand back. Look over the shoulder of God as it were. And say, Lord, what are you doing here? How can I join you in what you are doing? How may I serve you in what you're doing here? So that's one of the main points that I'd like you to take away as well. Whenever you feel frustrated with God, stop. Stand back. Lord, what are you doing? And how can I join you in the situation? Not you charge in and, and get stuck in with a, with a hacksaw and whatever. Stand back. Lord, what are you doing here? How may I serve you? So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this parable that shows us our place in this world. Our place in your plan. Our place is not to tell you what to do, Lord. Our place is to ask you to reveal what you're doing and to join you in your work. Lord, as we honestly seek to honour you and glorify you, Lord, would you give us the humility to do that? Fill our cups, Lord, as we know you will, as we honestly seek to glorify you in what you are doing. In your name we pray. Amen.